Hello, I'm Diana Green, the Bard of Hudson, and welcome to season two. More stories, more connections, more adventures. Happily divorced and parenting two amazing humans, I set out to discover why this life is worth living and what the heck I was meant to do with the time that was given to me. My hope is to remind you, inspire you, and connect with you here and in person. And to that end, please, please share, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the podcast and join my Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com slash Bard. In the end, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome back to the Bard of Hudson. It's Diana. And I am sorry this episode is a little bit late. I've had some allergy issues. Woo, spring is in the air. And so I was like, awful. (laughs) So I didn't want you to have to deal with that. But here I am. And yesterday was Easter. We had a crazy Easter egg hunt with three grown people because we don't have any children in the family at the moment. But we got some amazing news that my stepbrother Noah and his wife Brittany are going to have a baby in October. So that's exciting. New generation. Oh my god. Oh my god. That will be wild. I won't be here for the birth, but I'll see them at Christmas time, I'm sure. So that's exciting. So today I am moving on from my adventures in Portugal, from my long affair with Simon, but I'm still going to tell you some stories from the early 2000s. So this episode is about an exciting trip that we took to Africa with the kids when they were young. My mom and I decided to take Savannah, Dakota, Noah, and Aiden on a safari to Botswana and Namibia. And it was the trip of a lifetime. It was a dream come true. Really an incredible adventure that we all had together. We saw so, 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 so many animals, and we loved doing that together as a group. It was incredible. So here we go. And I'm reading to you out of my diary from then. I do like to take small books along on trips and try to take notes because, God, I mean, I would have never remembered all of these animals that we saw and all of these crazy adventures. We went with a safari company called... Africa Adventures, (laughs) and the kids were just enchanted with the people that we met. The guides were so brilliant, knew so many things, and we learned a ton. It was great. So here we are, July 3rd, 2004. We landed in Johannesburg after much traveling and many airplanes and a total of almost 18 hours of flying. This was a long-awaited dream, and this is just the beginning. Johannesburg is just our place to rest up before we go on safari, so we won't be here long. I don't really have an impression of it. We are staying sort of in a suburb in a lovely small hotel called The Grace, and gracious they are indeed. Savannah and I were noticing how everyone greets you with a smile and a good afternoon to you, ma'am. I was a little taken aback at first, and then... Even a little ashamed that in America, we have lost such basic courtesy. We had a very funny experience of market haggling just a little while ago. We went to a craft market down the road. We had just really gone out to get a stroll and get the feel of the place, and we saw the market and decided to browse. 
but there is no such thing as leisurely browsing. If one shows the slightest interest in anything, that salesman is right at your elbow, extolling its many unique qualities and whispering prices in your ear. Savannah and Noah were looking at bracelets made of elephant hair, and one man wanted almost $10 for each one, and another one pulled Noah aside and said he could cut 10 rand off that other guy's price. The rand is the currency here in Johannesburg. Then the first one pulled them back over and lit the two bracelets on fire. Just the tip of them, to show that one was just made out of plastic, while the other one smelled like chicken when you burn it, and therefore it was genuine elephant hair. The kids were quite overwhelmed and did not end up buying anything. Now we're watching Mom swim laps in a very cold pool, because it is winter here after all. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a collection of African swallows appeared and started circling the terrace and dipping down into the pool to drink the water. How gorgeous! Some of them came quite close to Mom's head. Savannah and I observed that their airspeed velocity was quite fast. <laughs> That's for any of you Monty Python fans out there. July 4th, on a ride to the airport at 7.30 in the morning for our transfer to the wilds of Botswana. We hit a patch of stopped traffic and our driver Clifford explained that he'd seen an accident on his way to meet us in which the driver had died. And then he said, oh, they're probably still washing up the blood, you know, wiping what's-his-name off the pavement. We were quite amazed that he was so blasé about the whole thing. And then he said, well, South African drivers are really the worst in the world after all. Aiden and I were sitting in the seat right behind him. We looked at each other and immediately scrambled for our seat belts. <laughs> now we are on Air Botswana on our way to Moremi. At the airport, we had a bit of a mix-up. We thought we were driving to Moremi, but in fact, we had to get on another small charter plane for a 20-minute ride over the Okavango Delta. We saw elephants, hippos, and crocodiles, and a couple of huge birds flying right under the plane, all of which distracted me from the bad air sickness that I was experiencing. Fortunately, we landed in a flash on a dirt strip where we were greeted by a family of baboons and our guide. His name was Glynn. We quickly packed into our open vehicle, loaded the bags on top, and off we were on a game drive. They certainly don't waste any time around here. We saw impalas right off, but the biggest surprise was a spotted hyena that was walking right down the road toward us. She was a big female, and Glenn thought that she was probably out because there was some kill nearby. Glenn lives in Botswana and is currently working on a research project on brown hyenas. We meandered through the delta in the direction of our camp, stopping to watch various animals and even getting out to stretch our legs and to squat and pee, which Savannah did not like too much. We pulled up near a marsh and saw a couple of crocodiles. That sighting was followed with a couple of snacks from the fridge, cokes and cheese and chips, a big crowd pleaser. Later on the journey, we came around a bend and happened upon a rather large herd of giraffes. Apparently that's very unusual since they are not necessarily social creatures. They might be with one group today and solo tomorrow. We also saw a local type of antelope called a lechwe. July 5th, here's the list of animals that we saw today. Vervet monkeys, a vulture asleep in a tree, a heron flying, Egyptian goose at the watering hole, blacksmith plovers, a big herd of lechwe, zebras and giraffes, shrike, leopard impala, 
guinea fowl, warthogs, monitor lizard, sasabi, Africa's fastest antelope who can run 80 to 90 kilometers per hour. I'm sitting outside my tent in a lovely breeze, having just done my laundry and watching a crimson-breasted bush shrike. He seems to be quite interested in my crimson underwear that I've just hung up in a tree to dry. I can hear the soft grunting of contented hippos about a hundred feet away to my right in the marsh. That noise is balanced off by the soft snores of mom as she takes a siesta curled up back to back with Savannah. Savannah has been so sweet to her on this trip, which I'm sure makes it all the more worthwhile for mom. All morning they sat together on top of the Land Rover, giggling and spotting game. My eagle-eyed mom spotted leopard tracks on the road right in front of us from the top of the car. Quite impressive. We woke this morning at 6.30 to a gorgeous sky. Actually, I woke at 6.15 because I had set my alarm. I had not slept well at all, but it didn't bother me. I was wakeful at night, partly because of the rich chocolate dessert, perhaps, but because it was really so exciting just to be here. I was rewarded for my vigilance since I saw a hyena walk right past our tent. I also heard what sounded like a fight of some sort, and I heard a lion calling. This morning, after a quick cup of coffee, we went right out for a drive. We saw a family of very sleepy vervet monkeys right off. We saw many lovely birds, and after about an hour, we stopped near a marsh where a male lechwe was eating, and we joined him in a small meal. We had a muffin and a bit of tea. And then we pushed on. We had such interesting experiences that morning. We watched Glynn pull apart jackal dung to show us what the jackal had eaten. There were feathers and seeds. He also picked up an elephant dung and squeezed it to show how much water was in there. And he said that if you were ever very thirsty in the savannah, you could always drink water coming out of elephant dung. The rest of us didn't feel so confident about that. After that came bigger surprises, giraffes and zebras right around the bend. We hung out with them for a bit and even saw a baby giraffe nursing. Then we heard an impala calling an alarm and we decided to investigate. As we were driving down a narrow lane, we came upon a leopard who was walking right towards us on the road. We stopped the car and tried to control our excited chatter. He walked boldly past the back of our car, watching us the whole time and even growling. Even Glenn said that was a rare sighting indeed. On the way back to the camp, giddy with the leopard sighting, we didn't stop as much. But we did see a bunch of warthogs who ran from us in alarm with their tails held straight up behind them. So funny. That afternoon, we saw kudu, waterbucks, a cute little bee eater. And then we saw a tree called a knob thorn acacia. And Rob, the other guide, said, What? Fornication? And we all laughed. We watched some elephants and saw one that had a long, dragging green penis. And we were told that he had something called must, which was basically green penis disease. His penis was longer than a man. Glenn said, yeah, it's bigger than Rob, which was very funny. And we learned that when the elephant ejaculates, there are three liters of sperm. Oh my goodness, the kids are getting quite an education. I guess we learned a lot about penises today because we also learned that tiger penises have a barb at the end of them, and when pulled out, it stimulates the eggs to drop from the female. Probably hurts like hell, too. July 5th. 
In the afternoon, we headed out again at about four o'clock after a lovely tea time of coffee cake and drinks. We saw kudu in the woods and waterbucks on the marsh. We saw a beautiful, bright green bee eater, and then our first elephant of the afternoon. Just after we saw him, some other cars drove up, but they looked only for a moment and then drove on. Glynn very wisely told us to wait, because often where there is one elephant, there are others. And sure enough, by the time we had sat and watched for about an hour or so, we saw 25 or more. It was so magical to hang out and watch them do their thing. There were two very small babies, maybe one and a half years old or so, who were so playful. They ran and swatted at birds, and they bumped each other. One older sibling gave one of the babies a delicious rubdown. Glenn delivered many fascinating facts about elephants as we watched, some of which the kids were a little horrified by. (laughs) July 6th Animal List Lilac-breasted roller, four hippos, first two, then others who rose out of the water. As we came closer, one stayed as the lookout and three swam away under the water. We tasted papyrus. We saw a purple roller, we saw an eight-foot crocodile and some baby crocs, and then we saw some great white egrets, an African darter, a lily trotter, some marabou storks making a nest, we saw an African spoonbill, a sacred ibis, and a scorpion. The scorpion was spotted at night. So Glenn had a habit of when someone would call out, oh, there's a jackal over there, he'd ask us first to tell him the directions by way of numbers on the clock. So we'd say, oh, jackal at three o'clock. And then he'd find it for us and go over and drive next to it. After all of these, he would say, well spotted, well spotted, Savannah. And Savannah was great at spotting game and so was mom. Both of them liked to sit up on the top of the Land Rover and call out things all the time. So that evening, when we were around the campfire and it was quite dark, we had some headlamps, but mostly just the light of the fire. As we were sitting there telling stories and such, I looked down at my feet and there was a tiny scorpion, maybe an inch long. And I said, oh, wow, scorpion. And everyone leapt back from the fire in alarm. And I stayed put, but I turned to Glenn and said, hey, what happened to (laughs) well-spotted? We learned that when Botswana achieved independence, there were only 15 kilometers of paved roads in the whole country and that those were between the airstrip and the governor's house. (laughs) The next day, we went to a little village, and we all purchased koikois, which were an all-purpose cloth that you could use as a dress, or a towel, or a table cover, or whenever you needed it for anything like a blanket or something. On July 7th, we went to a tiny island where we set up a small camp and slept in some very flimsy, soft tents, because no lions could get to this island. We could look up through the tops of the tents and see the sky at night. It was beautiful. But I woke up drenched in a powerful sweat in the middle of the night. I think this was because I was taking anti-malaria pills, and they were affecting me very badly. I went to the changing tent to change out of my wet nightgown, and I absolutely froze, because the temperature drops dramatically at night. My hair was wet, so for the rest of the night, my head was freezing. Not a good preparation for another day. But the location was so beautiful that I just forgot about it. 
The whole experience was such a great gift. So I carry on. I remember when one of the guys in the camp was digging the latrines, a bunch of baboons were coming over and trying to interfere. They were so funny. And you'd go over to use the latrines and the baboons would peek up over the top. It was adorable. We packed up the boat after breakfast and had a short walkabout during which we saw the island's resident baboon troop. We saw a beautiful malachite kingfisher who was very obliging and hung out on a branch for a while while we took pictures. We also crossed around behind the heronry on the other side and we saw gray herons and also fish eagles who were hunting the herons young. The herons were heading out for their days foraging for food and nesting materials, so we saw so many of them in flight. They are huge. On the way across a span of huge open water in the small boat, the kids all got a big treat. John, the driver, let them each take a turn at the wheel. They loved that. Savannah was first up, and she went to it, humming, A pirate's life for me! <laughs> We kept our eyes peeled for baby crocodiles the whole way back, but were only rewarded with a quickly disappearing tail of a monitor lizard. We met up with a small boat, and we had to transfer all of our belongings for the final 20-minute boat trip down the smallest channels to the dock. Then we were off in the Land Rover once again and back on dry land. Our first sighting was a family unit of elephants who nervously crossed the road as we approached, the matriarch shepherding the little ones. They stopped a safe distance past us and lifted their trunks to smell the air since we were upwind from them. That was such a cute sight. The little one copied the matriarch and lifted his tiny trunk, too. It was adorable. Our other guide, Rob, was so funny, and he was always wonderful in telling stories. He told us a story of a couple who were on safari on their honeymoon, and they were walking in the bush, and a cape buffalo charged them. They ran quickly towards a tree, but the wife tripped and fell at the base of the tree, and the husband stepped on her back to get up the tree faster. Oh my goodness. Luckily, the buffalo passed on by the tree, but Rob said that there was a lot of tension in the camp that night, and they left the next day, and he was sure they must have gotten divorced right away. <laughs> you learn a lot about someone on safari. He also told us an incredible story about a man whose boat had gotten marooned on a sandbar. There were a guide and a couple of people inside, and they were worried about crocodiles coming up and molesting them. So the guide said he had to go for help. He dove into the river, and right away a crocodile came and grabbed him by the arm. But he had the presence of mind to thrust his arm farther into the crocodile's mouth and pull its tongue, which made it gag and let him go. Then he got out on the bank with a mangled arm and came out of the bushes only to see a herd of lions. So he climbed a tree, and lions and Cape Buffalo walked by his tree for hours. Finally, he was able to get down and, bleeding, find the nearest town and send back help for his boat, which had been marooned for hours on a sandbar. July 8th. For the first time since we arrived, I got a wonderful night's sleep. What a difference that makes. Breakfast up and out for our first drive in this lovely new country near a new camp called Camp Kini. The camp has an amazing lagoon right in front of it, which is a veritable wealth of wildlife in itself. One could sit and observe it for hours and see hundreds of different kinds of birds as well as some larger mammals. There's a huge pod of hippos, some 30 or so, just hanging out in plain view of our tents. 
At night, they come out to browse on the grass in front of our tents, and we can hear them munching. It's a great, sloppy, wet, chomping sound. In any case, we had to stop right off as we exited the camp to identify some of the birds on the edges of our campsite. There were Hottentots, I love that name, which were ducks with bright blue beaks. Further on out into the plains, we came upon, as Glenn put it, the bird reputed to be the most delicious bird in South Africa, the Cory Bustard. Apparently, you're only allowed to kill and eat them if you are from the royal bloodline of tribes. It's like having turkey at Christmas, I guess. Glenn's stories are also wonderful. It occurs to me now that we should have just brought a tape recorder and taped all his commentary. We had driven for an hour or so without seeing anything but impalas, a couple of giraffes, and some zebra, when eagle-eyes Biango, that's mom, spotted two jackals far off in the distance, half a mile or so at least. We watched them run across a field with the binoculars, and then we moved in with the car, but they got shy and ran away. A bit further down the road, we suddenly got a radio call from some of the camp assistants who had spotted a lion. Glenn found out just where they were, and he raced back to meet them. That was a harrowing ride. My eyes got so windburned that I actually couldn't focus well by the time we arrived. The guys had tailed the lion and pointed him out when we joined up with them. We drove carefully around the bush, and there he was, a large male lion, lying in the shade on the far side of a huge low tree. We would have never seen him if they hadn't followed him. What a thrill. We sat and watched him for a few minutes, but then Glenn spied some other cars coming, so we drove away temporarily so that the poor thing wouldn't be besieged. He said that's what the safari drivers do when they see the self-drivers coming, because they know that the self-drivers don't always have the same kind of respect for the animals. They drive right up to them and bother them. So when safari drivers see them coming, if they are observing an animal, they will look at their map or look the other way to throw them off the trail. We learned that elephants coming upon the skeleton of another elephant will recognize it as an elephant, and they cannot bear the sight of death, so they will take the bones and distribute them around. We learned this because we saw just an elephant's skull and nothing else of the elephant. Upon coming back to camp, we came around the bend, and our lights disturbed a bunch of hippos. They started to charge us, and Glenn had to say very firmly, Rob! Back up the car. Rob, reverse the vehicle. <laughs> it was crazy. And it was so welcoming to drive into camp after a long game drive and see the lights of lanterns shining in front of our three little tents and to see Cowboy John waving us in and to know that there are cocktails, which they call sundowners, waiting near a toasty fire to know that an amazing meal will follow soon. They really do an incredible job of doing everything possible to make the atmosphere delightful. Some of our favorite foods have been soups, carrot soup, pea soup, corn chowder, red pepper soup, minestrone. Dakota's favorite meal was impala. <laughs> we had stuffed tomatoes, zucchini sandwiches, quiches cooked for breakfast with sausage, tomatoes, nice crispy bacon, just like Hobbit style. Desserts have been brownies, profiteroles, lemon tarts, pecan cookies, and we had some incredible breads with rosemary and raisins, cornbreads, biscuits, and rolls of all sorts. Rob, as I said, was also wonderful about telling stories. 
He told one where he had seen six or seven crocodiles lying on a bank, sunning themselves with their mouths wide open, with oxbirds pecking at their teeth to clean them. And a huge male hippo lumbered out of the water, turned around, and sprayed poop all over the crocodiles, who immediately woke up with a start and shut their jaws in horror and drove off into the water. <laughs> he also told some wonderful jokes, and here's one of them. There were some kids in a third grade class who were told to go home and, quote, experience nature, unquote, and bring in something to share that interested them. So the next day, the teacher went around the class and the kids told various stories about spider webs and such. But then she came to Fred in the last seat, who was looking very nervous. What did you do in nature, Fred? Well, me and George were ramming firecrackers up frogs' asses. The teacher looked terribly embarrassed and tried to salvage the situation by saying, Don't you mean rectum? And Fred said, Wrecked him? It fucking obliterated him. <laughs> oh dear, pardon the salty language. Well, we had to leave Botswana on July 10th. After a bone-chilling and speedy drive to the Hakanaka airstrip, we had to bid farewell. Glenn pulled us in with minutes to spare. As we pulled into the airstrip, he quickly told us his most gruesome story, which he had been promising, and then he offered us a muffin. <laughs> We jumped on the plane and waved a sad farewell to Glynn, John Cowboy, and the Moremi. The gruesome story was this, and it was precipitated by us asking why, even though they set up three tents for us during the day, at night they would always transfer the two beds from one tent into the second and third tents so that we would sleep three to a tent rather than two to a tent at night. And we were like, why do you do this? They said, well, we want to have one adult in each tent just in case. And we were like, just in case of what? And so that's when he told us this story. A mother and her 11-year-old son had come on safari the year before we had come. And they had done some camps with John Cowboy, who was one of our camp leaders, and another tour company that was called Uncharted Africa. And then they went on to a different camp. And this is the story that John Cowboy heard about them. The mother had her own tent, and the son had his own, and they were told to keep them zippered at night, but for some reason, this one night, they didn't. And the guides had bid them good night and went off to their tents, which were about 200 yards away, but in the night, they heard the blood-curdling screams of the mother. By the time they arrived at their tents, they saw a pack of hyenas carrying the boy's head out of his tent. Ooh, gruesome. We fortunately exited Botswana without any horrible incidents, but we carried with us so many wonderful memories. And I guess I'll tell you about Namibia in the next episode because this is a very long one already. So, more fun to come, more Africa fun to come next episode. Thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Please reach out with your thoughts and your comments. You can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or Facebook at Diana Green or on my website, bardofhudson.com, where you can listen to the podcast directly from there or leave comments. I would love to hear from you. And please check out my Patreon page for photos and videos and extra goodies that I don't share anywhere else. 
And wherever you're listening, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. It makes a huge difference, and it helps other people to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.